Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that, you know, Ivan mentioned it earlier, that we more than just singing praise and worshiping you with our lips here on a Sunday morning, we worship you with our hearts, but we also worship you with our lives. And God, we thank you for the simple ways that we can bless others and bring honor to you. Simple things like following the speed limit. And God, I do pray that we would be a blessing to our neighbors here on Baldwin Hill Road. God, we pray for them. God, we pray for each and every household here that you would bring your blessing on them, that each one of them would come to know you personally. And uh, who knows, maybe one day all those homes will be empty on Sunday morning because they're all down here with us. And we pray for that. Uh, Lord Jesus, we also just pray for... uh, the communities that we live in during the week, recognizing that, that you have sent us out into the world to be a light. And God, I pray that we would shine bright wherever you lead us this week and in all the weeks to come until your son Jesus returns. And this morning, as we open your word, I pray that you would, uh, would you speak to us? Would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, meet us where we're at and Challenge us where we need to be challenged. Encourage us where you want to encourage us, God, but don't leave us unchanged. Soften our hearts now to receive what you would have for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis chapter 43. We're going to be picking up in our study on the life of Joseph. Uh, These few chapters that we're in right now, beginning last week, this week, and then, you know, the, the coming weeks, we're, we're kind of in a place where every week it's kind of leaving on a, on a cliffhanger. Uh, we're not really sure what happens next. Um, of course, you can read ahead if you would like. Um, and we don't have a time, the time this morning to do a full recap of everything we've covered up to this point in the life of Joseph. But I do just want to hit a couple of the brief highlights from last week in order to set up uh, the, the story that we're going to be reading today. So Joseph is now, he's the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. He's no longer a prisoner. He's no longer a slave. He is the second most powerful man in the land. And under his leadership, uh, Egypt has stored away enough grain to get through seven years of famine. Not only do they have enough grain for all of Egypt, but they actually have enough grain to be able to supply grain for people coming from the, the other regions around Egypt, coming there to buy, to buy grain. And last week in chapter 42, we saw Joseph's brothers among those who were coming down to Egypt to buy grain. These are the same brothers that had sold Joseph as a slave like 22 or so years earlier. And when they arrived in Egypt, Joseph recognized them immediately right? He saw them. They were older, but he recognized them. But they did not recognize Joseph, right? Why? Well, because Joseph, you know, he was not only 22 years older, but Joseph was really, you know, thoroughly Egyptian in, in, in every way, right? Joseph looked like an Egyptian. He, he spoke like an Egyptian. He was living, uh, you know, as, as royalty in Egypt. They did not recognize their younger brother. So, what did Joseph do? Well, Joseph decided that he was going to put his brothers to a test, right? He wasn't ready to reveal himself quite yet to his brothers, so he's going to put them through a test. And it's a long test that they're going to go through. And uh, so what he does 
is he accuses these 10 men who have traveled to Egypt, he accuses them of being spies, right? And they're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not spies. We are all brothers of one man back in, in Canaan. But he persists. He says, no, 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 you are spies. And, and they said, no, 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 we have a brother. We have, a, we have another brother who's back home with our father, our younger brother. And he said, okay, well, here's the test then. I'm going to keep one of you as a prisoner. And, and he chose Simeon. And he's going to keep one of them as a prisoner. And he said, the rest of you, you can go back and you can retrieve your younger brother that you say you have, right? And then bring him here to me. And if you do that, then you know, I'll know that you are not spies. So Joseph's brothers, they don't really have a choice. They go along with the plan, right? And so they go home and they bring back the grain that they had got. And, uh, and Simeon, their uh, older brother, he stayed as a slave, uh, excuse me, as a prisoner in Egypt. But before they left, Joseph did something. Joseph told his, 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 his steward, he says, put their money back into their bags. Put it in their bags. And when they get home, they discover that all of the money that they brought to Egypt to buy grain is still with them. And they freak out, right? Remember, they are just terrified because now not only might they be believed to be spies, but they're concerned that, that the, this powerful man in Egypt is going to believe that they are also thieves, that they had taken all that grain with them back to Canaan, but they didn't pay for it, right? So they were, they were freaking out. Well, not surprisingly, because of all of this, and because Benjamin, the youngest brother, was dad's favorite child, Jacob refuses to let Benjamin go back to Egypt with, with the older brothers. And so, and so Simeon, in that choice, is forced to stay a prisoner while, while Benjamin and the other nine brothers and Jacob and their families begin to eat away at all of the grain, right? Jacob says, there is absolutely no way that I'm going to entrust Benjamin with you guys and go down to Egypt. And that leads us now to chapter 43, where we're going to pick up the story today. So if you have your Bible, we'll begin reading in, in Genesis chapter 43, verse 1. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain they, that they had brought uh, from Egypt, their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. Now apparently the famine is lasting longer right, than Jacob had anticipated. He had probably hoped that they had enough grain to get them through this famine, right? But what Jacob doesn't know, Joseph knows, right? Joseph knows this, is that this famine is going to last for seven years. Joseph didn't give them enough grain to get them through for seven years. At this point, it's probably been maybe two or three years into this, into this famine, and they're already running out of grain again. So Jacob turns to his sons and he says, all right, I guess it's time for you guys to go back to Egypt and, you know, to get some more grain. And verse 3 says that Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us saying, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you'll send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him we will not go down. 
For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Judah hears his dad requesting them to go back to Egypt. He says, dad, I, I think you're forgetting a pretty important detail, right? The, the Egyptian ruler was really pretty clear on this, dad. If we don't bring Benjamin with us to, to Egypt, we're not going to see his face. And if we don't see his face, we're not getting any grain, right? Actually, I'm thinking he probably was thinking this. He doesn't say that he said it out loud, but he probably was thinking, and if we show up without Benjamin, odds are pretty good we're going to end up in prison with Simeon, right? Dad, we're not going. If you're not sending Benjamin, we're not going back to Egypt. Now, back in chapter 38, this is several weeks ago, right? Several weeks ago, when we were reading the story about Judah and Tamar, do you remember that story? Terrible, right? Terrible, sinful stuff with Judah and his sons. But at that time, I told you that it was really important to the story because as we progress in this series, we're going to see Judah playing an increasingly more important role in the story. He's going to rise as a leader amongst his brothers. And we're going to see evidence that Judah has had a change of heart. Something has taken place in Judah since the time that he had his brother sold as a slave all those years ago. Judah puts his foot down. He says, Dad, we're not, we're not going unless you send Benjamin with us. So verse 6, Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Israel, which is, by the way, that's Jacob's other name, the one that God gave him back in Genesis chapter 32. Israel, Jacob, he is frustrated, right? He's frustrated with the situation. He and his family, they're running out of grain. He's being forced to now consider doing something that he said he would never do, right? So he says, if you had just kept your mouths closed, right, he wouldn't even know that Benjamin exists. Actually, Joseph did know that Benjamin exists, right? But Jacob doesn't know that. He said, man, why did you have to go and open your big mouths? right? Why couldn't you just keep quiet? Well, this gets the other brothers a little agitated. Verse 7 says, they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Listen, Jacob is not the only one who's frustrated here, is he? The brothers are frustrated too, right? They, they have a brother, Simeon, who because of their dad's choice to not send Benjamin is still in prison. They're frustrated about this, right? They're frustrated because they have families of their own who are starving, right? They're out of food. They're frustrated. And they have a father who's just been unwilling to cooperate with the plan. And so they say, dad, we, all we did, all we did was answer the man truthfully. How could we have known? How could we have known that he would say, you know, go back and get your younger brother? Well, at this point, I'm, I'm picturing like the, the tensions rising. It's a good family meeting, right? And the tensions are, are rising. And Judah steps up again. And in verse 8, we read this. And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. 
I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. It's interesting that Judah actually quotes his father in this, in this little dialogue. Last week, when Jacob was sending his sons to the, for the first time down to Egypt, this is what he said in, in, in chapter 42, verse 2. He said, go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die, right? That's what Jacob said to his sons the first time they went. Now Judah says, Dad, we're in the same situation. This is the same situation we were in the last time. If we don't go down and get grain, Dad, we're going to die. Every single one of us, precious Benjamin's going to die, right? I'm going to die. You're going to die. All of our kids are going to die. We have no choice but to go down with Benjamin, Dad. So he says, Dad, let me take responsibility for the boy. If I don't bring him back to you, I will carry the blame forever. Now, keep in mind, Judah is the one. This is the man who made the decision. He's the one that proposed to his other brothers that we should sell Joseph as a slave, right? The same one that proposed to sell Joseph as a slave is now putting himself up as surety for his younger brother, Benjamin. Is it possible that Judah has changed? Something taking place in Judah's heart? And then he says, if we hadn't delayed, we would have returned twice. In other words, Dad, it is time to quit stalling. We've been stalling long enough. We've stalled to the point where we're out of food. If you just let us take Benjamin when we asked you the first time, we could have returned back here, not once, but twice. Twice, Dad. Verse 11 Their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise and go again to the man. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Jacob is forced to concede that there really is no other way, right? There's no other option. He has to send Benjamin. You know, hunger... Hunger is an incredibly strong motivator. Hunger can drive a person to do things that they would otherwise never have considered. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll read stories about things that people did in times of famine that are astonishing, the lengths that people will go to to survive. Some studies have suggested that hunger is a more powerful motivator than thirst and a more powerful motivator than than fear. And here in this passage, we can see that hunger has now overridden Jacob's fears of losing his son, Benjamin. And as I've mentioned several times in in this series, God 
is the one that's orchestrating things behind the scenes for this whole thing, isn't he? God is the one who's sovereignly in control, and he has a plan, right? And his plan requires bringing this family down to Egypt. So God is going to use a motivator that is stronger than fear. In this case, it's hunger. In order to move his man, Jacob, and his family down to Egypt where he wants him. You know, God has an amazing ability. He knows how to press where he needs to press, doesn't he? He knows how to move us. And it's a lot easier, honestly, if we just do it when he calls us to do it, right? It's a lot easier if we just go along with his plan. But when you resist him, God has a way of bending you into submission, doesn't he? Hunger is a, is a powerful, powerful motivator. If I were to come up to you, if I were to come up to you and I said this, what are you hungry for? What am I asking? I mean, I might be asking, are you hungry for Italian or Mexican or what do you feel like for lunch, right? Hopefully pizza because a lot of you staying for pizza today. But what am I really asking? If your boss comes up to you and says, what are you hungry for? What are they asking? They're asking what drives you, right? What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you hungry for? Jesus used hunger in this way. Jesus actually used it that way. He said in Matthew 5, 6, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus is talking to his listeners, and he says, you don't need to worry about food and water and what kind of clothes you're going to put on. You don't need to worry about that. He said, instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says that when we hunger and we thirst for his righteousness, you know, when we are driven and we are motivated with the desire to live and to love like Jesus, Jesus says that we will be satisfied. You know, there's a whole lot of people running around in the world who are really lacking satisfaction, right? Jesus says, here's the key. You're struggling to feel content, to feel satisfied? Pursue something different. Be driven and motivated by something different. Pursue my righteousness. You want to live and love like me, and you will be satisfied. Wow, what a promise. One more thing to note before we, before we continue. I find it interesting that in order for Jacob's family to be saved from the famine, the father, Jacob, has to send his son down to Egypt right? That's what has to happen in order for them to be saved from the famine. But the father was not willing, right? Jacob had been forced to send his son, right? Now contrast that with God the father. God the father was willing to send his son, He planned to send his son from all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve fell, right? God formulated a plan and said, I am going to send my son willingly because he loved us so much. John chapter 3 verse 16 says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
Nobody had to twist God's arm to do this. He loved us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Nobody had to twist God the Father's arm. He loves you. So he sent his son. Well, Jacob, driven by his physical hunger and in, in, in the physical hunger of his family, he concedes and he agrees to send Benjamin down to Egypt with his brothers. But first, he tells his sons to bring the Egyptian ruler a, a gift. By the way, he did this back with his brother Esau. You remember that story? When he was afraid he, they were going to meet Esau on the road, he, send, he said, send him camels and donkeys and cows and cattle, right? I mean, he sent everything ahead of him as a gift to Esau to somehow appease Esau. Well, he's doing the same thing here. He says, guys, you need to bring a gift down to this powerful man to somehow appease him. So let's put together a really nice basket. Um, let's, let's see, what did he say? Oh, yeah, we'll bring some honey, some gum, some myrrh, some pistachio nuts, and some almonds. I bet this guy can whip together an awesome trail mix, right? We... <laughs> This, what a gift. He gave Esau like cattle and camels and donkeys and he's sending trail mix down to his, to, to rescue his son. And in addition to the gift, he says, don't forget to bring down the money that was in your bags and bring enough money to buy some more grain. And then before he leaves, Jacob prays for their protection. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man and may he send back your other brother. Notice he doesn't even say his name. Isn't that weird? And he doesn't even say, my other son. He says, may God get you mercy so your other brother gets released. And Benjamin, right? And Benjamin. As for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Jacob says it's, it's in God's hands. A bit of fatalism here, right? A bit of fatalism. Verse 15, so the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose, they went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. Now, I want you to put yourself in the brother's shoes for just a moment. Because no doubt, okay, they have been traveling like 250-ish miles now from Canaan down to Egypt. Do you think that they thought about this encounter on the way? You think they were thinking about like, how is this going to play out? What are we going to say to the man? Who's going to do the talking today? Please don't let it be Reuben, right? <laughs> you remember Reuben from last week? <laughs> Kill your grandsons, right? Reuben is going to say something really stupid so we don't want him to do the talking. They probably wondered things like, is, is he even going to believe us? I mean, we're bringing Benjamin with us to prove that we're not spies, but then there's that whole issue with the money. He, I'm sure he's convinced that we're thieves. You can be sure that they're nervous, right? They are nervous as they're coming into Joseph's presence now. And whatever they were expecting to happen, whatever they were expecting to happen, when Joseph sees his uh, brother Benjamin with them, Joseph is, he's excited. He's happy. 
So he turns to his steward, the person who was responsible for managing his household. Man, has he come a long ways, right? And speaking in Egyptian, he says to them, he says, go prepare a meal and bring these men to my house for a feast. We're going to have a lunch, and it's going to be better than pizza, all right? But Joseph's brothers, they didn't have a clue what was going on, right? They're just there to, to prove that they're not spies, to get Simeon released, to get some grain and go home. That's like the perfect scenario in their minds, right? But now the steward is saying, you guys, come with me. You're going to his house. What? What? Verse 17, the, men, the man rather did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. When Joseph's brothers realized that they are being brought to the Egyptian ruler's house, let's be clear, they were terrified, right? They are, they are terrified. This makes no sense to them. Why is Joseph bringing us to his house. And what's this talk about a meal? He's having us over for a meal? Now, you'd understand it. In that culture, sharing a meal with someone was, was an invitation to friendship, right? It was an invitation to a deeper sense of, of relationship with one another. You didn't casually have meals with people in that culture, same thing is true if you look at the life of Jesus. If you're reading through the Gospel of Luke, I encourage you to do this. Read through the Gospel of Luke and, and, and pay attention to the meals. Pay attention. One author has said that Jesus was either coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal all through his ministry. You know? And if you look, look at how he look at how he used table fellowship to build relationship with the outcasts, right? That's why the Pharisees were mad at him. Remember what they said? Like, he dines with sinners and tax collectors, right? You got to be kidding. Can I challenge you, brothers and sisters, to include table fellowship in your strategy for building relationships with people? Invite people into your homes. Have a meal together. Share fellowship with your brothers and sisters to build community and use the table fellowship to bridge the gap between you and those who don't know Christ. Invite them into your life. That's what's happening here. But this doesn't make any sense to Joseph's brothers, right? Oh, they understood that that's the way that the, 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 the things happen in that culture, that you would eat around a table as a sign of friendship and relationship. But why in the world would Zaphnath Penea want to have friendship or relationship with us. They are convinced that this is a setup, right? This can't be real, right? This is a trap. This has to be about the money. I know it is. He knows we're thieves, and, and, and he is convinced that he's going to set us up. Look at what they said. They said he's going to bring us in to assault us, to fall upon us, to make us servants, and to seize our donkeys, Please, come on. Tell me you find that funny, right? That's at least a little bit humorous, right? In the face of being assaulted, arrested, 
and made into slaves. These men are concerned about their donkeys. Not the donkeys. Oh, oh, I'm going to be a slave, but don't let anything happen to my donkeys. You know, it's pretty funny. They genuinely, they're shepherds, right? They care for their animals. I got to say, if, if, this was, uh, if this was my house, this is what my wife would say about her cats. You know, like, we're, we're going to be slaves, but what's going to happen to Buddy and Belle and Bailey, our cats? Oh, anything but the cats. You can take Chris, no problem. Just don't let anything happen to my precious cats. She's not denying it. <laughs> so as Joseph's brothers are being brought now to Joseph's house, they're just convinced. This is a setup, right? As they arrive at Joseph's house, in verse 19, it says, So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We don't know who put our money in our sacks. They're not even going to wait for Joseph to arrive, right? With, with panic in their voices now, they run up to the steward, and they tell him what's happened with the money. They say, we don't know who put the money there. We paid, I promise. We are not thieves. We are not thieves. Verse 23, the steward replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. In other words, you guys need to calm down. You need to calm down. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. Joseph Stewart says, man, you guys, you guys need to relax. Guilty conscience much, right? The money in your bags was a gift from your God, the God of your father. It's interesting. If you look back at chapter 42, what we looked at last week, when they first discovered the money, do you remember what they said? You remember what they said? They said, what is this that God has done to us? They saw the money as some sort of a punishment from God, something God was doing to them, right? But the reality was that this was something that God had done for them. Wow. You know, this type of thing can happen in our lives as well. Sometimes in the midst of of difficult circumstances or a, a challenging season in our lives, it is hard to see or to understand what God is up to right? And so sometimes the thing that you think God is doing to you is actually something God is doing for you. How many of you experienced that? Something you thought was like, oh, God, why'd you allow this to happen in my life? And then later with time, you look back and you say, God did that for me. That was a blessing. I didn't realize it at the time. Well, after the steward calms them down, the text says that he brought Simeon out to be with them. What a relief that must have been for them. And what a relief for Simeon. 
I wonder if he like looked at him as he's coming out like, what took you so long, right? <laughs> Seriously, you happened in prison, remember, right? Uh, he probably knew. I guarantee he knew. No, dad didn't let Benjamin leave. He knew that. Verse 24 says, and when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, got to take care of the donkeys, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. So after returning Simeon, the steward helps Joseph's brothers to get cleaned up, right? He's going to get them cleaned up and made ready to have a meal with the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And verse 26 says, when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. I think it's funny. They actually never mentioned what Joseph thought of the gift. It's like, oh, thanks. Almonds. Wow. Great. Verse 27, he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. When Joseph comes home, you know, they give him the gift, right? They give him the gift that they brought, and then they bow down before him, right? Last week, we saw, in the first time they came down, we saw 10 of his brothers bowing down before him. And we talked about the fact that Joseph had had those dreams, right? And the second dream was really specific. It said that 11 stars will bow down before you, right? His 11 brothers. And now, here in Joseph's house, Joseph sees the fulfillment of the 11 stars now bowing down before him. All 11 of his brothers there bowed down, prostrated before Joseph. And after his brothers assured him that their father, Jacob, was still alive and well, in verse 29 we read, he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother? It's a rhetorical question. Of whom you spoke to me? And then he said to him, God, be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. Now, Joseph had already seen his brother when they arrived, right? When they arrived, he turned to his steward and said, go prepare a meal, and, and, and we're gonna, they're going to dine with me at noon. So he already seen Benjamin, right? But now he sees Benjamin, right? Benjamin is standing there in his presence, and, and, and Joseph is now looking at the only other uh, son of his mother, Rachel, who had passed years earlier, right? His younger baby brother. He was just a young boy when Joseph had gone off into slavery. And so as he's standing there, he, he's overcome, right? He's overcome with, with grief and, and joy and, and, and excitement. All the range of emotions are hitting Joseph at that moment, right? 22 years have been lost. 22 years that had been, had been stolen from him where he could have watched his younger brother grow up. His baby brother was now a grown man. And Joseph, just, he was overcome 
with emotion. So he leaves the room because he doesn't want his brothers to see him breaking down in tears. And it says he wept in his chambers. Verse 31 says, Then he washed his face and he came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. So after Joseph, you know, pulls himself together, he comes back into the room and he tells them to serve the food. But what's interesting about these verses uh, beyond, the, you know, just the way that they're seated. I mean, it's kind of kind of interesting just to get a picture in your mind about how they're seated. Joseph by himself, the Egyptians of Joseph's household over here, and then Joseph's brothers over here at another table. But what's interesting about that is that, is that it gives us a little bit of an insight into one of the major reasons why God wanted to bring Jacob's family down to Egypt to begin with. Because we saw it. Do you remember back in chapter 38, we talked about Judah. He's marrying a Canaanite woman. His, his children were marrying Canaanites. And they were being totally absorbed into the, the, the Canaanite culture. And God knows if, if he leaves his people there in Canaan, they're going to be completely absorbed, right? Totally assimilated into the Canaanite culture. And so God is going to bring this family down to a place where the culture there refuses to assimilate with them. He's going to bring them to a place where they'll be set apart and where they can grow and they can become the nation that God wants to grow them into, the nation of Israel. Egypt was the perfect place for God to do that. Verse 33 says, And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Other translations, I think, capture what's happening here a little better than the, than the ESV. There's a lot of things, by the way, that, that could have amazed them at this point, right? I mean, think about it. They're amazed. Simeon has been set free. That's amazing. Yay. He believes us. We're not spies. Good. What else? Looks like Benjamin's going to be safe. Yay. That's exciting. We can actually go home to dad. This is amazing. How about the fact that they're eating a feast in the home of the second most powerful man in all of Egypt? This is amazing, right? How many of you have ever had that privilege, right? You would be amazed as well, right? How about the fact that they are, why, why are they coming down to Egypt? They're coming down for food because it's the middle of a famine. People are starving. This is a dire, dire situation, right? Right? They wouldn't be there for any other reason. And what are they doing? They're sitting here at a banquet table, right, in the home of the second most powerful man of all of Egypt. They're like, this is amazing. We haven't eaten like this ever, <laughs> right? It was amazing. But on top of all that, on top of all that, the text says that when Joseph's brothers were placed at their table, they were seated in order from oldest to youngest. You think, oh, yeah, whatever, big deal. See, in my mind, I, 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 picture, I picture Joseph Stewart coming over and, and being like, excuse me, sir, you, yes, come this way, have a seat. Reuben sits down. And he's like, mm, how about you next? Yeah, you, Simeon, the former prisoner. Let's get you seated. 
number two. Then he turns to uh, to Levi, right, number three. Then Judah, number four. And he keeps going down the line, five, six, seven. And somewhere around like four or five, maybe six, the brothers are looking at each other like, this is weird. He's calling us over in the order of our birth and seating us at the table. Now, for you and me, it's not that amazing, is it? It's not very amazing because why? Because Joseph knows these guys, right? Joseph knows how old they are. He knows a lot more than that about these guys. He knows all their dirty little secrets, right? But for the 11 brothers, as they don't know this guy, Zaphnath Paneah. All they know is this guy is seating them in birth order, and they're like, this is mathematically improbable, Right? This can't happen. I'm sure that at least amongst, amongst 12 brothers, somebody was good at math, right? Somebody was good at math. And so I, I asked my sons, I asked them this week, I said, what's the probability? What is the probability of taking 10? I'm going to say 10 because they already knew that Benjamin was the youngest because they told him that, right? So what's the probability of taking 10 middle-aged men and putting them in order from oldest to youngest and getting it correct? What is, what are the, what's the mathematical probability of that, Right? And they told me, and then I didn't believe them. So, so then I checked with our, our, our resident math professors from the university, and I said, did they get it right? And they said, yes, they got it right. So good job, uh, math team. Um, Mrs. Brush is in the back, the math team coach. She's very happy that they got this right. The odds of doing that, if you, if you factor out things like gray hair and wrinkles, okay, just assume you did totally random here, guys. The odds are 1 in 3.6 million, right? Uh, one of my sons said, you have a better chance of taking eight dice and in one roll getting a Yahtzee with eight dice um, th- than to do that. That's crazy, right? No wonder they were amazed, right? This is incredible. How in the world could this guy have known our ages? Well, we know the answer. It's their brother. So it's not that incredible, but to them... It says, they were amazed. Verse 34, portions were then taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. (laughs) Isn't that comical? It's funny, right? And they drank and were merry with him. As the brothers are being served, they're taking food off of Joseph's table, and they're bringing it over, and they're, here you go, Reuben, here you go, Levi, here you go, Simeon, and here you go, Benjamin, you know? Like, picture, like, each of them gets, like, a chicken drumstick or something, right? And then he gets, like, five whole chickens, like, placed in front of them, right? It's crazy. He's the youngest. This isn't right. In our culture, the oldest is the one that gets the blessing. He's the one that gets everything. You got to remember that This is the thing that got Joseph in trouble all those years ago, right? At least part of it was the fact that dad was constantly favoring and showing blessing to Joseph, right? And and it says in the the early chapters of our study that the brothers hated him for it. They were jealous. They were filled with hatred because of the way that he was being favored. So Joseph here is, is testing his brothers again in another small way. He says, I wonder how they'll react if I bless Benjamin so obviously in front of them, how are they going to react? Well, text says that they drank and they were merry with him. Apparently, at least at this meal, 
They were not dismayed by the favor that was being extended towards Benjamin. Perhaps they really have changed. Maybe. Or maybe they're just so excited about all that's going on around them that, oh, whatever. This is still an amazing blessing, right? Well, we're going to find out, right? And that's what's going to happen in the rest of the story. We're going to continue to see Joseph testing them to see if they have really changed. So far, so good. But for this morning, I want to close our time uh, with this. Joseph's brothers, they, they think they're on you know, this mission. They're on a mission to do what? To buy grain. That's what they think this is all about. We're starving. We're going down. We're going to buy grain. In their minds, they're just going after whatever they need to survive. They're just doing what, what feels right. They're pursuing what's going to satisfy them, or at least what they think will satisfy them. But what they don't realize, what Joseph's brothers don't realize is they have a much, much greater need than food. Joseph's brothers have a much greater need to be satisfied than their physical hunger. They have a need to be forgiven and to be reconciled to God, don't they? These guys have been carrying around a secret that's been eating away at them for over two decades. They have a need and they don't even realize this is possible to be, to be forgiven and reconciled to their brother. God is bringing them to a place of repentance, a place where they can experience forgiveness and grace and reconciliation. And that is a need that we all have in common, don't we? Every single one of us, we have a longing in our soul, right, to be reconciled to God. Every single one of us have that longing. We, we, we long for something, some sort of peace, don't we? People are all running around. They're like, man, I just, ugh, nothing satisfies. I need that peace in my life. And you know, as well as I do, that, that, that unbelievers as well as believers, we have a tendency to try to fill that longing with all these counterfeits, right? Things that never really, truly satisfy. We think that they'll bring us peace, right? But they always leave us wanting, don't they? We're never really satisfied, are we? And so whether you're you know, a Christian who has allowed other things to fill that place in your heart that belongs to Christ, or maybe you're someone who's never come to Jesus to experience his love and his forgiveness, we all need to find our hope, we need to find our peace, we need to find our satisfaction in him. There's a, there's a song that's uh, called Rest in You that uh, originally sung by the, the duet All Sons and Daughters. Uh, friends of ours, uh, Nate and Jules, uh, some, of, some of you remember praying for Nate and Jules this last winter uh, when, when they lost their baby at 39 weeks. Um, Nate and Jules uh, sang this song uh, titled, Rest in You. They sang this song, and, and in the song, there's a, there's a lyric that says, our hearts are restless our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. 
And so I don't know, you know, what, what lack of peace you might be carrying. Maybe it's pe- lack of peace because you've never put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you already have put your faith in Jesus, but you have been trying to fill that desire for, for peace in, in another way. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's what Jesus said. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. So I've, I'm going to play a video. It's actually our friends Nate and Jules uh, singing that song. And um, I want you to, if you can, I want you to make this song your prayer. Make this song your prayer, that, that, that you would recognize your need to find your rest in him. Stop striving in all these other ways and just find your hope, your peace, and your rest in Jesus. And then when the song is over, I'm just going to give you, when the song is done playing, I'm just give you maybe 30 seconds or so just to pray quietly in your heart and, and, and meet with the Lord where you're at, you know? And, and, and maybe, maybe you need to confess or maybe you just need to thank him that you truly are finding your rest in him, where, wherever you're at. And, uh, and then afterwards, uh, we'll close in prayer and, and then we'll have Ivan come up and close us together with the song, Great Is Your Faithfulness. So let's go ahead and play that video. Oh uh-huh. 
Father, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. God, we recognize that our greatest, our greatest need isn't food, it isn't drink. It's none of the many things, God, that we, we seek to fill our desires with. God, we recognize our greatest need is you. Your son Jesus told us that we would find satisfaction, true rest, true peace in our souls as we hungered and thirsted after righteousness, your righteousness. And so God, I pray this morning for all of my brothers and sisters who already know you, God, I pray that we would continue to find our satisfaction in you. God, give us an a, a, a hunger to know you better, to live like you, to love like you. And for those who don't already know you, God, I pray that today would be the day that, that they would cry out to you for the first time and say, I need that peace in my life. A peace that is only made available through your son, Jesus. Through his death and through his resurrection, we're able to be restored into a right relationship with you, God. And so, God, I pray if there's anybody here who has never made that decision, that today you would, you would give them the boldness to reach out to you and to tell you that they want to be your child, to surrender the control over their lives and, and make the decision to serve you as their Lord and to thank you for being their Savior.
And if they make that decision, Lord, I pray that they would reach out to someone here. Let us know that they've made that decision so that we can come alongside them and walk with them in this journey. And we pray for these things in the matchless name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.